You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the incredible land known as Orlando. Thanks for listening today. Before I dive right into the episode, I want to remind everyone, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, can you do us a huge favor? Head over to whatever app you're using, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, any Android app, whatever. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and make sure that you leave a review, especially if you are an Apple user. You've got a, you know, an, an iPhone, iPod, iPad, and you're using the podcasting app. Um, it's a really, really big deal. We get a lot of users from that app. So if you can head over, leave a review in the iTunes store or in the app, let the world know you love the podcast, give it a five-star rating. Those reviews literally push us up the search rankings. So whenever someone searches the words like theology or God, more people find us. If you've enjoyed the podcast, if it's been a blessing to you in any way, can you do me a huge favor, leave a review. That would be a major, major help to the podcast. Thank you so much. All right, let's dive into the meat of today's show. I'm in the middle of a mini-series on the resurrection, so we've already had two episodes that we covered several elements surrounding the resurrection, have several more planned, but before we continued, I wanted to answer a question that I've been asked, and that is, is Easter a pagan holiday, or does Easter have its roots in a pagan holiday? Before I dive into the meat of the episode, I do want to just say in advance, I recognize this episode is substantially longer than most of our episodes. It's not my goal for most episodes, but there was just so much information, uh, I just didn't feel there was a way to cut it down. In addition to that, important to note, this episode is going to be a little bit nerdier than most of our episodes. We're going to be covering a lot of historical elements and dates and things of that nature, and that can be sometimes a little bit nerdy, a little bit overwhelming for some. I did try to break away and do some comic relief moments, so several moments that will make you laugh, but I did want to just give you a warning ahead of time so that you know what you're diving into as you begin to listen to this episode. Okay, so let's get right into the meat of the topic. Um, Is Easter pagan holiday? And the reason why that matters is because there are a bunch of people out there, what I would refer to as revisionist historians or liberal theologians or just flat out skeptics and critics that want to discredit Christianity. They want to say that Christianity is not credible in in any way possible. And in one of the ways we do that, one of the ways that they, they seek to do that is by discrediting the history of the Christian faith and the Christian traditions, and the logic goes like this. If we can discredit the early part of the faith, then we can discredit everything after that, and we don't have to believe it. We can discredit the truthfulness of it. And so there are some people out there, mostly revisionist historians, that want to come along and say, Christianity is a Me Too religion. They want to say, Easter was actually a pagan holiday that already was in existence, well-established, and the idea of a resurrection was these, these other myths from other religions, that the Christi- that Christianity was a religion um, not founded on the resurrection, that Jesus was a good teacher, that he died, and that he stayed dead, 
and that it wasn't until centuries later that the Christians wanted to make their religion greater than all the others, so they fabricated this idea of the resurrection, or they began to kind of uh, adopt from other religions. The other religions, though they had goddess and goddesses they had raised from the dead, so they basically adopted that. They commandeered that and said, oh, oh yeah, me too, me too. We, we want to have a god that rose from the dead, and so we'll, we'll add that to our religion. And that supposedly Easter was this well-established pagan holiday that was celebrated by lots of pagans elsewhere and that Christians kind of just commandeered it and manipulated it to be a quote-unquote Christian holiday. And because of that, Christians can't be trusted and, and the Bible should be discredited. That's sort of their line of thinking. That's their uh, you know line of logic. So let's let's attack that. Let's, let's address those concerns. Um, I will concede this that it is plausible that the word Easter, just the word itself, not the whole holiday, has some pagan roots. Let's let's fast forward, excuse me, let's rewind all the way back to about the year uh, 2200 BC or between 2200 and 2400 BC. Going all the way back um, to that time frame, there was this goddess that was worshipped in some parts of the world. Um, she was a very lustful god goddess. She was a warring goddess. She was kind of the, the goddess known as the goddess of fertility, the god of sex, the god of war. And it was all kind of got mixed together. Now, we do see this in, in all different parts of the world that have pagan religions, you know, religions that, that worship thousands of gods and bunch, or a bunch of different gods. We see sometimes overlapping gods. So, and I think it's, you know, I believe it's because most of these pagan religions, people kind of all originated from one part of the world. And as, as people began to kind of, um, you know, spread out from one another, there, there are still pieces of their traditions that kind of stuck with them. So we find people in, you know, in ancient Babylon and people in ancient Greek city-states and people in ancient Germanic Saxon tribes of what is modern day, you know, Germany and modern Northern Europe. Um, and as far east as India, you have all these different pagan religions that the framework of the religion is very different, but you find overlapping gods, right? In India, they serve thousands of gods. In the Germanic Saxon tribes, they, they served thousands of gods, and most of them were different, and the overarching framework of the religious beliefs were different, but every now and then you saw the same gods being worshipped in different places. And so th that is because those gods were worshipped in very, very ancient times, and kind of stuck with the people throughout the ages. So there, there was this one goddess, um, this lustful sex god, and they were in some parts of the world that she was worshipped, and she was known as the goddess of fertility in some parts of the world. Um, and this is all before the Roman Empire even exists. So this was kind of established all throughout the world. But she's worshipped in all different ways in different at different times of the year with all different traditions, right? There wasn't this one established religious, this one established pagan holiday, as as some would like to believe. And, and, and in most cases, these are actually rumors. We have very little documentation as to whether or not this, this goddess was actually worshipped in a lot of places. They're just kind of rumors or legends. Um, in a lot, of, and in most cases, we have almost no documentation as to how she was worshipped in whatever way. There is there is a little bit of documentation that, that speaks to the fact that she was worshipped um, by the Germanic Saxon tribes. Those are the the tribal people that lived in what is modern day Germany, modern day the Netherlands, and kind of throughout that region. And eventually, those tribes ended up mixing with the Anglo peoples in what is modern day uh, England. And so we have we have some evidence that she was worshipped by those peoples. 
and that things like sweet candies were a part of that. Um, in, in, there's also some very limited evidence that the rabbit was a symbol of fertility. We do know that in many cultures, several years or you know, several centuries later, that the rabbit was indeed a symbol of fertility. If you know how a rabbit functions, you can kind of think about why that came about. It's not kind of a, a hard thing to think about. So there was some symbols uh, that the rabbit was a symbol of fertility in some cultures, but it wasn't tied to this religious belief or wasn't tied to the worship of this goddess, right? The worship of this goddess was different. Than the fact that the rabbit was a symbol of fertility just was completely separate from from that okay so fast forward to the first century the roman empire at this point has been established there are lots of gods worshipped all throughout the roman empire and within the Jewish culture, you have this this new faith, uh, this this Rabbi Jesus, who his followers are claiming that he raised from the dead. Um, this this new religion is exploding on the scene, mostly amongst Jews at first. So there's lots of Jewish Christians, but then it begins to spread and spill over. Um, and because Jesus rose from the dead right after Passover, many of the Christians in that region. You know, in and around Israel, in and around Palestine, in and around the eastern parts of of Asia Minor, uh, which is would be modern day Eastern Turkey. Um, they began to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on a regular basis. Uh, they did this first and foremost by worshiping together every Sunday morning. I actually covered this extensively in episode thirty nine. But there is some evidence that many of the Christians had a special celebration once a year to commemorate and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this typically did not take place on a Sunday. This typically took place in conjunction with Passover because Jesus' death and resurrection was connected to Passover. And obviously, Passover is a foreshadowing of the work of the cross. So the early Christians in that region felt it was important to worship and commemorate Jesus and celebrate his resurrection in conjunction with Passover. They typically worshipped uh, or celebrated the resurrection on the 14th day of the month in which Passover took place. Um, because again, it's connected to Passover and that didn't always fall on a Sunday of the 14th day of that month. In many cases didn't fall on a Sunday. And this is the tradition of many Christians in that region for, for several decades. And then we have evidences that the resurrection of Jesus was commemorated and celebrated in other parts of the Roman empire, you know, slightly different times in slightly different ways. In fact, we know very little about precisely how they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, but we know, in fact, that they did do it, all right? And so we see, you know, some evidences in, in northern Africa amongst the, amongst the Coptic churches uh, in what is modern-day Egypt, modern-day Ethiopia, modern-day modern day Eritrea. Throughout that region of the world, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus was commemorated and celebrated, but, but we don't know much about how they did it. And then we see, you know, in the latter parts of the first century, some evidences that that the that this that the resurrection was being celebrated once a year as a holiday in the western part of the of the uh, Roman Empire, mainly in the city of Rome and in parts west of that. And so the western Christians were celebrating it. Uh, but because the Western Christians were not Jewish and were not really tied to the Jewish people, they knew little about the Jewish people, they, they didn't feel this obligation, this loyalty to celebrate it in the same way that the Jewish Christians were celebrating it. And in fact, there is quite a bit of evidence in the second century that the Western Christians who were not Jewish wanted to sort of distance themselves slightly from the Jewish people, mostly, mostly because the Jewish people were hated by all the Romans. 
There had been several wars, uh, three major wars fought between the Jewish people and the Romans from about 66 AD all the way through the middle of the second century. There were several uprisings, several revolts, and the Romans and many times would, would crush that in quite brutal fashion. And so the Romans really hated the Jewish people and the Jewish people continually uh, tried to fight. Many cultures in the in the you know, first, second century kind of just gave up and became loyal to the Roman Empire. And within a generation or two, their people kind of got mixed in with the Romans and it became just part of the Roman Empire. But the Jewish people refused. They, refused. they were very distinct, very unique because they believed God was going to send them a Messiah, right? Jesus had come. He was their Messiah. They rejected him because they wanted their Messiah to overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus was coming to say, you guys have missed the point. The Messiah is coming to overthrow something much bigger and stronger than the Roman government. That is sin and death. And Jesus did that. But because he didn't overthrow the Roman government, many people rejected him. They were still looking for their Messiah. They kept fighting against the Romans. And because of this, many of the the Roman Christians living in the western part of the empire they didn't understand the Jews or they saw the Jews as being hated people and wanted to sort of distance themselves. Furthermore, the Jews were constantly being oppressed and persecuted by the Romans, mostly in response to the constant revolts, where the Christians kind of were sporadic. There were definitely moments of intense persecution where the Romans would, would kill lots of Christians and persecute them massively. But there were some seasons, sometimes a few years would go by where, they, where the persecution was pretty nominal and it didn't get so heated, depending on who the emperor was. And then it also varied from, from region to region. In some parts of the Roman Empire, the persecution was really bad against Christians, and in other parts, Christianity was sort of tolerated. And so the, the Western Christians were thinking, listen, if we kind of distance ourselves from the Jewish people slightly, maybe we're less likely to suffer some of the persecution. And that's what they began to do. So they began to worship on a Sunday that wasn't necessarily uh, tied to the, the, the Passover festival. So what we have happening by the middle of the second century is different parts of the Roman Empire, different churches in different regions, worshiping God on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. But in addition to that, this special holiday where they commemorated and celebrated the, the resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus. But it was celebrated in different ways at different times. It wasn't it wasn't uniform. And there was actually a, a pretty extensive conflict in the middle of the second century. In 155 AD, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was mentored by the Apostle John. So the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, was a, was a pastor in Asia Minor in his later years. He had a young man named Polycarp that was that was kind of his, was, became his right-handed man. He had discipled him and mentored him. And then when John died many years later, Polycarp became one of the lead pastors of that region of the world. And he was very well respected. And so in 155 AD, Polycarp goes to Rome to basically convince the Western Christians, amongst other things, but one of the things he went there to do was to convince them that they should not distance themselves from the Jewish Christians, that that was bringing division and that was not appropriate, and that he thought it was more appropriate for, for, the, for, the, for the resurrection of the Lord to be celebrated in conjunction with Passover. In fact, the churches in the eastern part of the Roman Empire referred to it as the Christian Passover. That was the, the name of the holiday they called it. Uh, Polycarp makes this trip. It's not successful. Side note, not too long after this, Polycarp is actually martyred for being a Christian. He's burned at the stake and the fire doesn't kill him. And so then he's stabbed and he's killed. Polycarp, one of the greatest writers, one of the greatest church leaders of the latter part of the first century and early part of the second century. I love, love, love some of the things I've read about him. There's a part of me that would love to have a son one day and name him Polycarp, but you just couldn't do that to a kid, right? He'd get made fun of school. You can't name a kid Polycarp. They call him Polly, Polly want a cracker. Just wouldn't be fair to him, so let's not do that. 
Anyway, several years later, in 193 AD, Victor, one of the bishops in Rome, actually got up and made it clear he was distancing himself from the Jewish Christians, and he demanded that all Christians everywhere uh, worship God on Sundays only, but he specifically went to the point where he said Easter, or at the time they may not have called it Easter, but that the day we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord should always be on a Sunday. And he went as far as to say that we should excommunicate any Christian that doesn't do that. Several months later in 193 AD, several months after after Victor makes that that proclamation, there was the Council of Ephesus where a bunch of church leaders from Eastern churches came together and they basically denounced uh, Victor, the bishop, and basically said, we, we, we don't recognize his authority and we are not going to fall in line with what he wants us to do. Uh, several episodes ago, back in episode 35, I answered the question, why are there so many denominations? And I talked about the great schism in the 11th century that split the Eastern and the Western churches. Well, here we see in 193 AD, kind of the beginnings of that. You know, in the second century, there was there was kind of this divide from the East and the West. And while they didn't officially split, they stayed together for, for several centuries. We see the beginnings of that. And eventually in the 11th century, when the Great Schism takes place, it, it is because a, a bunch of, you know, uh, many kind of divisions over the centuries that the major one that happens in the 11th century kind of has its roots in some of these squabbles that happen in the second and third century. How do we know all this happened? Well, it's because it was well documented. There are several locations where we find uh, documents of these conflicts in the middle of the second century. And if there's a conflict in the middle of the second century about how the holidays are being celebrated, then that means the holidays were well established long before that. Okay. So that means that at some point in the first century, some, some point between 50 AD and 100 AD, the holiday was established, and then in the second century in, is when the squabbling happens as to how it was being celebrated. So the idea that some liberals out there would like you to believe that it wasn't established at all for several centuries later simply is just not accurate because we have documentation that there was arguments about how it should be celebrated. There are several sources. The greatest source comes from a guy named uh, Arrhenius. Arrhenius was under the, the tutelage of Polycarp, where Polycarp was living. Arrhenius was... Li part of his church, listening to his preaching. Eventually, Arrhenius moves to the far western parts of the Roman Empire, but over the course of his lifetime in the second century, he becomes one of the most prolific writers and one of the greatest Christian thought leaders, one of the greatest theologians of that era. We have uh, several of his writings that have been well-preserved, and he documented much of the, the squabbles over the, the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord um, you know, in, in, the, in the second century and the days approaching the third century. So now let's fast forward to the end of the third century, right around 300 AD. At that point, what we have um, is a bunch of different Christians celebrating the resurrection of the Lord as a holiday once a year in all different ways at slightly different times all throughout the known world at that time. What we also have separate of that is these vestiges, these kind of traces of this religious belief where they worshipped this old goddess in the in the old cities. And her the goddess had different names in different parts of the world. In the dramatic part of the world, in, you know, amongst the tribes that worshipped many gods that lived, you know, the old Saxon tribes that lived in modern day Germany and modern day Netherlands, in that region of the world, they named the the goddess a, a certain name. Uh, and the old Saxon tribes, as they moved westward, named this goddess Eostre. Or I may be pronouncing that wrong, but that, that's, that's roughly, and it roughly translates to the word Easter. 
And so right around 300 AD, the Christians that are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord in all different ways at different locations at different times, but many people began to refer to this holiday as the Easter holiday because the word Easter was tied to new life, right? It, it used to be used in the old days to refer to this, this goddess that brought, the goddess of fertility, when people wanted to get pregnant or they wanted to expand, you know, multiply their family, they would worship this goddess in certain ways. And so the word Easter kind of became synonymous with the idea of fertility and new birth. And of course, the resurrection was the ultimate symbol of a new birth or a new life, right? We as Christians have new birth, and it is founded upon the resurrection. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the guarantee that we will be raised from the dead, that we will have new life one day. And so Christians began to use this word Easter in relation to their Christian holiday of celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. But, but what the liberal theologians want you to believe is that Easter was this holiday celebrated by pagans and the Christians commandeered it. That is not true. There is zero evidence or very, very little evidence that that that, this, that pagans worshipped that God at all at that time. It was an old heritage that was barely even known of. The word Easter existed in their society and it, and it would refer to new life and a new beginning, but it, but it did not necessarily, it was not necessarily tied to a pagan religion. The Christians of that time, when they used the word Easter, were not necessarily thinking about the pagan religion. In the same way, when the word January is used, you and I don't think about the god Janus, but that's its roots, right? The the, the month of January is named after the god Janus. The, The Romans wanted to honor the god Janus, the god of new beginnings, the god of, of new transitions, and in order to honor that god, they, cha- they they named the first month of their year January. In the same day as Wednesday has pagan roots, right? The, the, the Wednesday, the that was the day of the week that the people worshipped the god Wudin, which that was the, the Norse version of the god Mercury. Like in Spanish, it's Merculus. That's the, that's the, what's the, 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 the Spanish word for Wednesday, because that was a day the god of Mercury was worshipped. Right? Today, when you and I say, hey, we're going to go, uh, we're going to play some football on Wednesday, we're not, we're not going, we're going to play football in honor of the pagan god Wudin, or in honor of the pagan god Mercury. Like, right? In, in January, we're going to go on vacation in honor of Janus. Like, that's not what we do, right? Like, just because the word may have some roots in paganism doesn't mean that we are using that word in a way that honors the pagan god. In the same way, the word Easter may have some pagan roots to it. However, when the Christians in you know in the end of the third century and going into the fourth century started using that word in different parts of the Roman Empire, they were not using it in honor of the pagan religion. It wasn't a pagan holiday that they commandeered. It was a, a holiday that they had established in their own manner, and they saw this word in their culture that they thought was made sense so they began to use that word to begin to adopt that word and that actually spread very quickly fast forward to 325 AD one of the greatest historical moments in all of Christian history is this event called the Council of Nicaea and they have there um, hundreds of elders and pastors and bishops from all over the Roman Empire, from all over the known world. Uh, Many churches were represented from all over, from the Far East, from all over Asia Minor, from the Western parts of the Roman Empire, from Northern Africa. They bring all these Christian pastors together and all these theologians, and they meet at the Council of Nicaea for, for, for several weeks, and they argue and debate all sorts of different things because there was a desire among several Christian leaders to kind of make sure that all Christians were on the same page. And so at the Council of Nicaea, 
all these Christian leaders, they argue about a bunch of different types of theology. They talked about the deity of Christ. They talked about the Trinity. They talked about, you know, the salvation by faith. They, they talked about uh, the, the Bible and the, the, the you know, the, the, what, what was the inspired word of God. They talked about all kinds of things because there was all sorts of slight, you know, slight divisions and slight disagreements. They wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. They wanted to get together and say, what do we as Christians literally f- believe to be true? And they covered a lot of ground and they came up with several very clear doctrinal beliefs. One of the things they did at the Council of Nicaea, amongst many things, was to come up with a standardized way to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Because they noticed lots of Christians are doing doing this in different ways. We want to bring unity. So at the Council of Nicaea, they argued and debated and they came up with a system to celebrate Easter Sunday and they came up with a standardized date. They determined that Easter Sunday would take place on the first Sunday of every year after the first moon of the spring season. That was the system in which they came up to calculate what day Easter would take place on. And that's why Easter shifts you know, quite a bit from year to year. That has been the typical way Easter is determined. Uh, and it was pretty much all the Christians agreed from 325 AD until about the mid-1500s. In the mid-1500s, the Catholic Church and the Western world adopted a new calendar, slightly different, the Gregorian calendar. And that is the, now that has become the, the Western calendar. That is the calendar that we use today here in the United States. That is the calendar most used throughout the world. However, some of the Eastern Orthodox churches refused to adopt that calendar, mostly because it was brought forth and proposed by the Catholic Pope. And, and so the Eastern Orthodox Christians, they use the original Julian calendar to calculate Easter. So in most years, Easter amongst Eastern, Eastern Orthodox Christians is celebrated about, typically about a week or two later. Um, but for the most part, Easter in most parts of the world is calculated using the Gregorian calendar. And the idea that Easter you know, what was an established holiday was never challenged re- really up until about the 18 or 1900s, again, by revo- revisionist historians. And, and th- their main claim that they used kind of determine th- their idea is the idea that, that this, there's a particular scholar and saint in the 8th century, in the 700s, a guy named Beatty was a very well-respected Catholic scholar and saint, um, was a great missionary to the Angles people. In fact, he eventually wrote a book called The Ecclesiastical History of the Angles People. He was writing about the Anglo people of Western Europe, what is you know, modern-day England and, and other parts of Western Europe. And he talks about in one of his writings that the word Easter actually originated from one of their gods. They had a god they worshipped, Eostre, similar to the Germanic Saxons people, but the Anglos people had worshipped this fertility god and that the word Easter, referring to new life, literally, which was, you know, originated from the Anglos people and then became widespread throughout the Roman Empire, of course, before Jesus, right? So his claim is that somewhere between 400 and 100 BC the word Easter comes from you know the western part of the world and then begins and then gets pervasive around so that by the time the Christians are starting to use this word in the first and second century or third century that that it's, it's a popular word in the Roman Empire the word Easter but that it originally originated from the far west so Beatty is writing this in the 700s right you know between 700 and 800 AD and it is not until the, the 1800s, a thousand years later, that we have these liberal scholars arising going, aha, see, Beatty said that Easter has pagan roots. And, and the claim goes like, this is their logic, that that if the, the word Easter comes from the pagan Anglo you know, uh, roots, how do we know the whole holiday doesn't have pagan you know, pagan Anglo roots? How, how do we know that, that the Christians didn't just commandeer a, a, a pagan holiday? 
And the answer to that is really quite simple. Number one, we have very little documentation that this Anglo goddess even existed. There are some people who believe it. Beattie believed it clearly when he was writing in the 700s. But there are lots of modern scholars, Christian and not Christian, that believe that Beattie just got it wrong, that he just was, he misunderstood something else. So, but even if he was right, I've already explained, like, the fact that the, the word or the name comes from, just like we use January or Wednesday, like, just because the name comes in doesn't make it pagan. Let me give you another modern example. Super Tuesday is a part of the election season here in the United States in the primary season. In early March, there's one day where there's a bunch of states that have a primary to determine who's going to run for president in November. They call it Super Tuesday because it was a day on a Tuesday with a bunch of elections and it was a really big day. So then he nicknamed it Super Tuesday. Now, Tuesday also comes from pagan roots. It's an honor of a particular god. Are, 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 we to, are we to believe that just because the word Tuesday is used in, used in our culture and just because we call it Super Tuesday, that that means that when we elect a president, we're doing it in honor of the pagan gods? Of course not. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Let's be honest. Just because the word, just because the semantics might have some connection to some pagan goddess thousands of years ago, doesn't mean that we're using the word today in that context. In the same manner, Christians at 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, when they calculate the day for Easter and when they use the term Easter as the official name of the holiday, they are not using it in reference or in honor of a pagan goddess. Just because the, the name Easter or the word might have, again, might have some pagan roots, it doesn't mean they commandeered an entire pagan holiday because there's no evidence that that pagan holiday even ever existed or extremely limited evidence for that last thought people ask what about the easter bunny what about the easter eggs we don't know for sure where those traditions came from there's a lot of speculation but all of them are very weak um we we do know that before 800 a.d there doesn't seem to be any tie of easter bunny or easter eggs to uh to the easter celebration the resurrection of jesus um, there are some people that believe that the early Christians did dye eggs. That's just speculation. I, the evidence I see seems very limited to that, so I, I don't believe that. But it, do, it does seem clear that before we get to 1300 AD that this idea of using Easter bunny and dyeing Easter eggs was a part of the Easter festivities and traditions. So somewhere between 800 AD and 1300 AD during the Middle Ages and the medieval times, that arose. But because documentation in that era is so limited, we don't really know how that came about. There is some very limited evidence that the dyeing of eggs was a part of some pagan worship festivals in ancient Persia and that that existed all the way you know through ancient Babylon and that the Jewish people may have been familiar with that and therefore maybe some of the Jewish Christians would have been familiar with that but again that the evidence for that is is pretty limited um, at some point between 800 AD and 1300 AD the dying of eggs became a part of the Easter festivities Easter traditions but we don't know precisely how that came about so is Easter a pagan holiday well, I think clearly the evidence shows it is not. Um, and the idea that Easter has pagan roots is just simply unfounded. It's, it's a liberal, revisionist way of approaching history. And in my opinion, it's absolutely irresponsible. Now, I know of pastors and Christians that refuse to say the word Easter because they believe it's tied to paganism. They, they don't say Happy Easter. They say Happy Resurrection Day. And that's fine. If you feel uncomfortable using the word Easter because it has some tie maybe to a pagan goddess from thousand years ago, okay, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. 
Uh, but I will tell you that you should stop using the word January, and you should stop using the word Tuesday, and you should stop using the word Wednesday. Like, there are lots of things in our culture that have elements or, or, or it were influenced by some pagan thing at some point in world history. If you're going to begin to take that route, man, you're going to start cutting off a lot of things. You're going to stop using a lot of words. So in my opinion, it's a little bit inconsistent. Again, if you want to say Happy Resurrection Day rather than Happy Easter, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just think it's slightly inconsistent. That's that's just my opinion. So from my perspective, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I think it's a big deal. I think we should celebrate it. And every year when the holiday of Easter comes around, I am excited to look at my friends and say, happy Easter, happy day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that we commemorate and celebrate the foundation of our faith, the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hey, if you'd like to do some additional research on the topic of Easter and some of its roots, I want to give you some resources. These are very nerdy resources. Just want to give you a heads up. If you're a nerd like me and you want to do the study, I want to just be able to empower you. I'm going to give you a list of books you can check out. They, these will also be listed in the show notes on our website. So you can go to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, look up episode 48, and you'll be able to get a list of these books there Maybe you're driving or at the gym and you can't write them down right now. So you can go go to our website later and check them out. The first book I want to recommend is a book called In Three Days, The History and Traditions of Lent and Easter. And the book really talks about uh, Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, Lent, all the things that lead up to Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then obviously Easter Sunday itself. Um, it is written by a guy named E.G. Lewis. I do want to let you know. Um, the book is not super high quality in its production. So like the artwork and the printing and all that stuff, it's a, it's a little bit low quality. It looks a little cheesy. So when you see this book, if you were to purchase it on Amazon, you'd be like, what the heck is Kenny recommending this for? Um, trust me, the content is good. So please don't judge the book by its cover. The, the words written are very informative, very valuable, while the production is subpar. Next book I'd like to recommend is a great book on Christian history by Timothy Paul Jones. The book is called Christian History Made Easy. Very easy read. It basically takes everything you need to know from pre-cross all the way up until today. Every modern movement within Christendom over the last 2,000 years. Very simple, very quick. A lot of pictures. Love that. But there is a section where we talk about Christian holidays and the development of that. Another great book, much more nerdier, much more uh, detailed, is a book called Historical Theology by Alistair McGrath. Alistair McGrath is one of the most well-respected authors and philosophers of our era today. He has a great book, very thick, where he talks a lot about uh, how theology evolved and transformed over the years, how we got to what we believe about certain doctrines, and what events in, in human history and church history sort of influenced how those doctrines end up being uh, articulated. So he's got some stuff on Christian holidays there you could check out. And then another book written in the 1800s by a guy named Joseph Barber Lightfoot. Uh, a book called St. Paul's Epistles to the Galatians. This is this is Lightfoot's commentary on the book of Galatians. Lightfoot was an Anglican theologian in the 1800s. And in that book, he talks about certain things going on in the province of Galatia and refers to several Christian holidays that were celebrated in the first century, one of them being the resurrection of Jesus. So that's obviously just one section of the book. The entire book is all about Galatians, but Lightfoot is a really great resource. He's kind of controversial in some ways, in some circles, uh, but some of the things I've written by him, I like, so I feel like I'm, I feel confident I can recommend him. So if you'd like to do more research, check out one of those books. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I know it was super long, so thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for for listening to this. I, I sure hope this has been helpful and insightful for you. I also hope it's an encouragement to you to know that your faith as a Christian is indeed founded in historical accuracy. That, that's a big deal to me, so I hope that's an encouragement to you. If you have any questions about anything I've said at all in this episode or anything you'd like to challenge me on, anything you think I need to clarify, please feel free to shoot me an email. I get lots of emails from you guys, and I love it. Please send them in. You can email me, heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. In addition, if you have a question about theology, about God or the Bible, any topic at all, maybe it's completely unrelated to this episode, any question, any topic at all, you can also shoot me an email to the same address, heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com, and I promise that I will respond to your email directly, and I will do an episode at some point in the future referring to the topic that you brought up. If you'd like to connect with me personally, the best way to do that is on Twitter. You can find me at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Our intro and outro theme music has been I'm Shipping Up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.